All right. You ready? Why don't you go to Hebrews uh, 11. My name is Jose. If you're new, visiting, welcome. Thrilled that you're here. This is week two of a series that we're doing over the summer called By Faith. And what we're doing is exploring this summer people who had a real faith in God and how that made a difference in, in, in their life and in our lives. And so our hope for you is, and I hope your hope for yourself, is that your faith is grounded and growing. Some of us, you've just been stumbling along following Jesus for a long time, but you don't even know if you're really following Jesus. You've just been doing this for a long time. And our hope is that you would actually get roots and be grounded in what you believe. Others, you may be here and you, you love God, but you feel like you may be stuck, plateaued, in that your faith isn't being stretched. It's not like taking you somewhere. And so what we see in Hebrews 11 is an opportunity for us to profile people that God worked through so that we would see God work through us. Now, if you missed last week, I'm going to summarize it. Even though we do have a podcast, you can listen to the whole thing. 40 minutes summarized in one sentence. Faith is two things. It's relational and it's visual. We started Hebrews 11. We'll continue to read uh, this morning. But two things that we see about faith is that it's always tied in Scripture to a person it's not an abstract concept. It's not this feeling. It's not this force. It's not this dimension. Faith in Scripture is tied to God or to something else. And so your faith is grounded in someone. It's either in you, which usually we either trust God or we're trusting our own ability or my friends or my bank account or my employer. Your faith is in a person. And also it's visual. I know what you believe, and if you just let me hang out with you for a week, or you hung out with me for a week, you would know what I believe, because your faith doesn't stay inside. It shows up in the way that we live. All right, so what we're going to do is going to read Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, and we'll continue on to verse 4, and we'll see the, the first profile in this chapter. You ready? Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith uh, is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. And this is what the ancients were commended for. Verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So, so faith starts with creation. But then it goes on to people. Verse 4. By faith Abel uh, brought God a better offering than Cain did. And by faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Remember what Hebrews 11 is about. Hebrews 10 is a warning. The letter is written to a group of people like you and me. They had a Jewish background, though. And some were slipping back. Life got hard and they were tempted. You know what? Forget this whole Jesus church thing. I'm going to go back to life the way I used to live it. And so Hebrews is a letter that gives us real reasons why we shouldn't give up on Jesus. Hebrews 10 is the warning of what happens when we do shrink back. Well, you can have a faith that starts off on fire and ends up fizzling. You can have a faith that's vibrant and is gone 20 years from now. Warning, if you're following Jesus today, it doesn't guarantee you're going to follow him wholeheartedly 20 years from now. You can slip, you can slide, you can fall back. 
you can evaporate. You could be gone. Hey, remember when, where are they now? The warning of Hebrews is that just because you're following Jesus today doesn't mean that you're going to continue in the path that he wants for you. Your decisions matter. But Hebrews 11 is then like this encouragement. Why should we live with a deep-seated faith in God? And, and what does it look like to have a deep-seated faith in God and a faith that's grounded in Jesus? So we saw it starts with creation. Where does faith begin? We as the people of God, as Jesus' people, believe that God created everything that's created and he did it out of nothing. In other words, there's no one worth following more than the creator. He alone is unique. No one else creates out of nothing. Everyone else creates out of things that have been made. And so our faith is not just in a force. It's no, it's in the creator God. But then he goes to the family line and he begins with Genesis, the book of beginnings, and he begins with the first family. So it's not like faith shows up around Jesus. Faith is, is seen in Scripture from the first human family. So why don't you do this? Hold your place there. Go to the left in your Bible, Genesis. I love Genesis because it's the first one that's easy to find. Genesis 4, and we want to read the account. I don't want to assume you know it and have read it and understand it. So let's just read Genesis 4, and we'll read the first, oh, seven or eight. Uh, verses. This is a story of Cain and Abel, first family, Adam, Eve have some children, and here's how the story is given to us. Genesis 4, verse 1. A Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor, which seems a little unfair. But this is the seedbed of faith. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face downcast? God knows our facial expressions. Scary thought. God knows it all. It's interesting. Both bring an offering. One is acceptable, one isn't. God comes not to Abel, but to Cain. Do you see him talking to Abel here? No. He comes to Cain. And he sees that Cain is thrown off. This is good news. If we're off this morning, uh, I'm going to assume you're, you and Jesus are okay. But let's just assume that's not the case. God comes to you when you're off and when your face is downcast, when something's wrong. And he speaks. He doesn't avoid Cain. He actually speaks to him. Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? Uh, but if you do not do what's right, sin, here's a warning, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother, let's go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel 
and killed him. How's that for the beginning of the story of God? God makes, makes man, woman. They rebel. Eventually, Adam and Eve do. They have a family. And what do you see? From a rebellion of not trusting God and eating what was forbidden, and now sons worshiping God, one in a way that's wrong somehow, and he ends up murdering. Now, I love biographies. I, I, I'm, if I'm going to read something that's not like the Bible or something, I want to read a biography. And what makes for a great biography are the juicy details. The best biographers are those who get beyond, behind the obvious and they find out what most of us don't know. And when you get the juicy details, you get a sense of what's going to the point where, have you ever read a biography? Have you ever read? Because I'm a little concerned with you right now. Have you ever read a biography and you feel like you're in the story, like you're in the room? And that's what the writer of Genesis is giving to us. He wants us to stand in the room and know about Cain and Abel. Okay, so what do we learn about Abel in Genesis 4? Nothing. That's how it starts. For some reason, the writer of Hebrews picks up on Abel as the first example of faith, yet we don't know anything. What do we know? He watched animals. He's an animal lover. Okay, there's a whole channel for that. Abel has an ongoing relationship with God. We know that he, he brings some of what he is raising. He brings it as an act of worship to God. It seems strange to us. Don't bring your animal like parts to church. That's just weird. But for them, this was a part of the act of worship. So he's a worshiper and he takes care of animals and he's accepted. That's, that's all we know about Abel. We know that Jesus refers to Abel in Luke's gospel and in Matthew's gospel as the first person whose blood was murdered and spilled. And interestingly, Jesus says that God hasn't forgotten it. And God's going to bring justice on the innocent death of everyone, starting with Abel. But that's all you get. Why is Abel an example of faith? Here's what we do know. We know what happens to his brother, and we learn through opposites. See, Cain's approach isn't honored. Cain is the one that is somehow further from God. What does God do? God comes to Cain, and God tells him, look at verse 7 of Genesis 4. If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what's right, sin. Sin is there. You know, it's, it's like you hear the truck coming down the street because you have Amazon now or Prime or whatever you have. Or maybe you go to stores and shop. I don't know. But, you know, you just hear the going down there and the, and the break. And then someone's coming towards the door and there's something at your front door. And you're like, oh, great, you know, I got it in my two days if you're Prime. Or I got it in my three hours if you pay extra or whatever. You got it. It's sitting there at the door waiting for you. Well, that's a kind of a cool thing. But for Cain, here's a warning from God. There's rebellion. It's sitting at your door. You could be further from me, Cain. I'm coming to you now. But if you don't master this thing, if you don't deal with what's crouching at your door, something worse can happen. And the next line you read is he finds his brother and he murders him. So here's all you get about Cain. He knows the right thing to do. Cain knows what's right and he knows what's wrong. So why is Cain's offering rejected? 
I think it's because of the attitude he comes to God with. And we'll get to that in a second. But here's the contrast. God gives life. Cain takes life. So when, when you and I are off in our faith, when our faith's misguided, when you're living in a way that's not designed by God for you, it's not just like, oh, so what? You have your path, I have my path. That's not as simple as it's given to us in Scripture. What's actually at stake is more than your life. It's the lives of the people around you. Because when, when Abel is good, his family situation is good. When Cain is off, his whole family suffers. Mom and dad suffers. They realize their own boy murdered the other. Cain suffers. He's sent off. And Abel suffers in the most violent way. Our faith in God, and particularly in Jesus, makes a difference. Either direction. Look at what Proverbs 21, 27 says in terms of wisdom. This is a wisdom nugget. The sacrifice of the wicked, you could put Cain. The sacrifice of Cain is detestable. How much more so when brought with evil intent. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And here's what it teaches us. That what's going on in your world matters, not just what shows up on the outside. It's possible to bring an offering to God, but there be evil within. And it's possible to try to look good before God and to have evil intent. Now, here's what I want us to do. Go back to Hebrews 11. And we want to look just at the faith of Abel and tease out what this means for us as we follow Jesus in 2017. Let's read verse 4 again. Hebrews 11, 4. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. What does it mean that he brought a better offering? Because this is an example of faith. Remember, we're supposed to read this to be stimulated to follow God in our own world. We want to bring a better offering than what Cain brought. Now, some suggest, well, Abel brought an animal which you see throughout Scripture that animal sacrifices were the early picture of an offering to God. There's a life for a life. In part of our worship to God, we don't deserve to be in His presence. In order to deal with sin, death must come to something, and in this case, an animal. So some people say, well, it's because Abel brought an animal, which the blood of the animal was a symbol of, of the severity of sin. And the need for forgiveness. Uh, and, and, and Cain, he brought like grain. I don't think that's the case, though, because later God tells Moses for the people of Israel to bring their offering of grain. So I don't think it's an issue of one like, you know, I brought the right, if I don't bring the right thing to church, I'm in trouble. Like, what? I don't get it. You know, uh, can I wear open-toed shoes after September? Like, I, if I don't come the right way, am I, am I in trouble? Can you wear white pants ever? I mean, I, you know, like all the, all the things that we worry about, I guess you can. Now's the time, in case you're wondering. I don't think that's it. I think the difference is more subtle and smaller, but huge. In life, my friends, sometimes it's the small things that have the biggest difference. Small decisions have huge impact. And I think in this case, what we're seeing by the lack of detail is attitude. Something is wrong in Cain and God comes to him and says, you've got to deal with the thing that's crouching at your door. Attitude. 
What's going on within makes a difference. And so if you don't deal with what's going on within, when you come to me, oh, by the way, I see it all. And so I'm not just looking for you to bring like the first fruits of what you do. And so part of our giving, by the way, is the extension of this kind of mindset. Our giving is financial because we give of our life hard work, sweat, tears, so that we can produce something for our family. But we come to God with, with the overflow. God has given us and we say, God, thank you for what you've given. I want your work to continue. It's the same thing. It's an act of worship. But I want us to remember this. God sees both the attitude and the action. And this is the heart of faith. God is not just looking for your behavior. Abel brings a sacrifice by faith. It honors God. All you get is, is God doesn't have to talk to Abel about what's going on within. They both bring something on the outside. Cain, I think, is dealing with something within, which is the nature of faith. It's not just about what you do. Now, two things I want you to write down that I think we can learn from Abel as we grow and ground our faith and grow our faith. Number one, write it down, faith is more than just going through the motions. Biblical faith is, is about more than just, just doing what you're supposed to do. Abel trusts God by worshiping the right way. So it's, faith is more than doing enough good to get out of trouble, right? So some of us, when we view what it means to follow Jesus, it's like, well, you know, why do I not do that? Because I'm a Christian. Or why do I do this? Why do I come to church on Sunday? Because I'm a Jesus follower. And that's what we do. Now, now hear me. The Bible is filled with things that you should avoid. And that's a good thing. There are a lot of things you should avoid. And the scriptures are filled with them. So part of my faith is saying, if God says to avoid it, I'm going to avoid it. And I'm going to trust him. I don't need to experiment to figure out if God's right or not. God's right. I avoid things. And there are some things we're called to do. So scripture's filled with things that we do. But hear me, the essence of my faith is not about just getting all right. So see, see, God, look, I'm clean. And then God, with his x-ray vision, says, um, clean? Are you kidding yourself? Yes, there, there are some things you're avoiding. Wow, that's well done. Some things you're doing, well done. But God looks at the attitude and the action. So faith is about always more than going through the motions. Abel has, seems to have the right attitude. He's, he, he's had a connection with God. Something is right on the inside as well as the outside. Now this is a point of conviction, so calm down. You're like, oh, shoot. So you're saying that God is thinking about my thoughts and not just what I do? Yeah. So how do I, how do I actually do this? And here's the good news. Because everyone in Hebrews 11 is meant to spur us to a deeper Faith. Here's the second reality. So the first thing is, yeah, faith is more than just going through the motions. But for us who are following Jesus, faith is about living out our new identity in Jesus. Now that's a mouthful. Write it down. And the rest of our time will be spent just unpacking what that means. Here's how I get this. By faith, Hebrews 11, Abel was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. So the writer of Hebrews reads Genesis 4 and he interprets it. Here's what happened in Genesis 4. You don't see much detail. But the writer of Hebrews, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to Jesus' followers, says this. Abel, here's what we need to learn about faith. He was 
commended as righteous. What does he was commended mean? Now I'm going to Greek out for a second because it's going to be helpful. When you look at language, we're reading it in English. But the New Testament wasn't written in English. It was written mostly in Greek with some Aramaic. And the, the, the nature of the he was commended in English in Greek is in the passive indicative, which is not to be confused with passive-aggressive, which is the total other story. We're not going to get into that, right? But the passive indicative simply means this. It's a phrase about something that happened to you. So Abel didn't prove himself righteous before God. Abel was commended as righteous. God put something on Abel. Abel, you're in the right we're together, we're in this, I accept this as worship. It means it was done to him. Abel didn't make himself right with God. Abel, in his approach to God, God made him right and said, you're with me, I get what you're doing. It doesn't mean that Abel's perfect. It doesn't mean that Abel never sins. It doesn't mean that Abel doesn't have sin crouching at the door. It doesn't mean that Abel never struggles. It means that God speaks a word over him and says, you are in the right. And because he's in the right, God speaks well of what he does. Now, I know that all sounds mysterious. But now let's just take that thought. What Abel's doing and faith is all about living out my identity in Jesus. It means when God says something about me, faith says, I believe it to be true. If God says it about me, it's true. God says to Abel, you're, you're welcome. You're in the right. And Abel believes it, trusts God, and brings his offering. So what does it mean for us to live out our identity in Jesus? All throughout the New Testament, and if you're new to the Bible, forgive me. We can't read all of the New Testament. Sorry, summer vacation is here, right? We're not going to do that. But when you read the writers carefully... They continue this phrase in Christ or in the Messiah or in Jesus when speaking to those of us who follow him. The New Testament writers filled with the Holy Spirit catch this truth that what Jesus says about you is true. Now, do you believe it? If God says something about you right now, do you believe what he says about you? Or do you believe what you think about yourself? Let me give you a statement from Jesus. Jesus said, John 11, 25, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus is resurrection. Which means he's life itself. Jesus dies but comes out and is alive again and he lives forevermore. And he says, anyone who lives by believing in me will never die. Now, it doesn't mean that you, your, your human body won't decay and be put in the ground. But he says, every one of my followers will never cease to exist apart from me. Do you believe that? That's actually not a trick question here. Because that's the essence of our faith. We believe that because of Jesus, if I put my faith in Jesus, I now have all that Jesus says I have. And I am who Jesus says I am. Now that's simple and basic. What am I saying? Jesus changes everything. So he gives us eternal life by faith. 
by me trusting in his goodness towards me, his death and resurrection in my place for my good. My sin is wiped away. I was going to live apart from God now and in the future, but now I'm going to live with God now and in the future. This is the heart of the gospel. This is not a trick question. Now, how are you going to respond to that reality? This is where Abel gets it right and where Cain gets it wrong. You see, Jesus' word about our life affects the quantity of life. Eternal life is about quantity. You will never die. You will be with me. And it's about quality of life. Jesus is with us now. Jesus will be with us in the future. So if that is true, how is your life different for real? If Jesus is really with you now, should that not impact everything? Like stress level, worry, doubt, conflicts. You have the creator choosing to live with you. You are not a schmo. You are somebody because the creator of the universe has chosen to, passive indicative, give you eternal life. And it's the gift of God. Now, I'm stating the super duper obvious, but I think for many of us, we're being awakened to the super duper obvious. And what, what Hebrews 11 is meant to do is to stir to what you should already know so that when you hit that circumstance, that struggle, that challenge, that real wall, you break through by saying, no, wait a minute, God is for me. So if you're a Jesus follower and you receive eternal life, this, this is what's true of you. What I'm going to do is just, I'm going to survey just a couple. I could spend literally the entire day. You want to come to my house afterwards? We'll go passage by passage and look at all these things that are true about you. I'm going to give you just a few examples. Write them down. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. So in Christ Jesus, you, speaking to everyone who's chosen to believe, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into, doesn't even say water, baptized into Christ. You have clothed yourselves with Christ. So no matter what your background and where you come from and what you've done and what your life looks like, if you have received what Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and life, those who trust in me will never die. You are a child of God. i got great parents. My mom and dad, Miguel and Rosa, love them. But I'm a child of God. And you say, well, man, I, I can't stand my parents. Or my parents were absent. Or I never knew them. Or whatever. Okay, all of us come from different, like, human parenting backgrounds. I'm not saying that's irrelevant. I'm just saying it's less relevant. You are a child of God, and I'm a child of God. And the creator of the universe, the one who rules everything, is now leading me and leading you. You are not a schmo. You're a child of God. So how do I live in response to that? Cain, for whatever reason, doesn't get the full grip. Abel seems to get the full grip. And God honors his attitude and his action as Abel lives out who he is in God. Now you and I, because of Jesus, live out who we are in Jesus. You belong to Jesus. Look at how Paul opens the letters that he writes to churches. Like, dear so-and-so. Look at how he writes. 1 Corinthians 1, 2-3. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified. 
in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. That's you. You've been sanctified. You've been cleaned up. You're holy, set apart for something that's good and useful and godly. You're not just a schmo. You're a, you're a child of God. Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, not just you and Jesus. It's all of us in Jesus. Their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You're holy. You're sanctified. Now, these things are passive indicatives. They are true of you. You don't get them. God gave them to you when you believed. When Abel comes with a sacrifice, he is made righteous. When you and I come to Jesus in faith, we are made righteous. This is encouragingly good. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us set a seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Like, so you say, okay, oh, I'm holy, I'm sanctified, but Jose, like, that's nice, but you don't know me. You don't know, you don't know what I'm going through, you don't know my stuff, you don't know my yesterday, and you don't know what I'm thinking about tomorrow. You're right, I don't know. But I know that if you're in Christ, you have been made holy, you have been made righteous, you have been sanctified, you're set apart for God, and he's given you his Holy Spirit. So it's not like you're just this distant child. God has come to reside in you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They've come to live in you. And you're saying, wow, if that's true, that impacts everything. So if God lives in you, what is impossible for you? Now, you by yourself, there's a whole lot that's impossible. I'd love to fly. I can't. I would love to. I just, I had dreams when I was growing up as a kid when Spider-Man was like really big. I know the new one's out, but when Spider-Man was really big, I saw myself, I kid you not, I'd wake up from a dream, like climbing the walls of, of my school and saying, yo, to my friends who couldn't climb the walls. Because I wanted Spidey powers. I, I was just a kid and I, I wanted all those things. And I, now I can't do all those things. I'm actually glad because that'd be freaky. But in the things that really matter, there is nothing impossible for me and for you because I am in Christ. And if Christ wants it to happen, it's going to happen. And I can count on him. So by faith, I trust that he's not just looking at my action. He's looking at my attitude. I just need to simply come to him as I am. And God can make me what I am not. So the question is, do you believe it? So biblical faith is about more than just believing these facts. Yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he was born of the Virgin Mary, that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, that he was crucified and dead and buried and coming soon. Anyone can recite a bunch of facts. The demons believe in Jesus and shudder, like scared to death, because they know what's coming for them and the judgment to come. So it's not... Biblical faith, you see the tie in Abel and Cain. It's something on the inside that shows up on the outside. And I'm just wondering if faith is more than just an intellectual exercise for you. I'm wondering if faith is about in all of life, me learning to believe that what God says about me is true. Now I could go off on this forever and I'm not 
because of time. But as you read the Bible, you just need to remember, you're always going to be presented with two ideas in your brain which can multitask. In your brain, as you read the Bible, you're going to see yourself for who you are in your own human thinking, own human behavior, own human perspective. And when you read the Bible, when it says about you, you're going to be presented with the choice to believe what this says about you or what you say about you. And part of growing and being grounded in faith is learning what God says about me and embracing what God says about me. And if he says I'm accepted, I'm accepted. And if he says I'm a child of God, I'm a child of God. And if he says, if I come to him with anything, he'll hear me. And if he hears me, I will have the very thing that I have brought to him in prayer. Do you believe this? Do you believe that, that following this Jesus really matters in the real world? And as I talk to him and listen to him and interact with him and his people, I begin to stumble on some things that I think God wants to do. And when I receive those things I think God wants to do, and I step out in faith that God is with me. Do I, do I believe that? Or is this just Sunday? Little talk, little donut, go on. We want to grow into be a people like Abel who have attitudes that are being transformed by Jesus and actions that are being transformed by Jesus. What am I saying? Living by faith means accepting God's view of you. That's what it means to live by faith. Not what you think about you alone, but what God says about you. You are loved. You're accepted. You're his. You matter. And and what you do matters to him. And so he's looking to you now, day by day, moment by moment, week by week, month by month, to live your life as if he was right here, not there. I don't, I don't go to church to meet with God. I go to a building to meet with God's people. God was with, with me when I woke up this morning. God was with me on my couch as I opened my Bible. God was with me in the car driving over here. Kept me from freaky people trying to take me out. God was with me the whole way. And God was and is with you. What difference would tomorrow make if we really remembered and believed that the Spirit of God lives in me and I am with Him and I belong to Christ and resurrection and life are mine. Hear me. It doesn't mean that we don't go through trials and struggles and problems. I'm not trying to paint this ideal picture of bliss. No, in this world, Jesus said, you're going to have trouble. But what? Be depressed because I don't care. Is that what it says? No, cheer up. Why? I've overcome the world. Oh, it's mine. And you're mine and I love you and I'm for you. So walk by faith. Really trust me. I had no intention on giving you a guilt trip this morning. So if you leave this morning feeling like, well, I, I can't measure up to this. Look, we all slip into sin patterns. We all settle into laziness. We all struggle from time to time. We can become selfish. We can become apathetic. I've been there. You've been there. We've all been there. But the question is, who are you looking to to stir you to an active faith in Jesus. We're reading from Hebrews 11 to remind ourselves of people throughout Scripture who have an active faith in the living God. But I also want to throw this out there. That's why we get together and that's why we need each other because it's not just the biblical writers that stir us. It's actually the everyday followers of Jesus that stir us. So I hope that you leave today reminded 
of two things. Two people. Abel, who, who is an example of attitude and actions that are in alignment. And God accepts him and, and God's pleased with him. And, and when, when I come to him as I am and allow his transforming power to work in me, if I'm in Christ, I'm accepted, I'm his, and I can worship freely. Now my attitude's off like Abel somehow did. I don't know how. Let's present those to him. Don't be like Cain who kind of holds on to bitterness and doesn't let God deal with that because look at where it takes him to a very dark place. And friend, don't think that Cain is just someone else and you can hang on. If Cain can slip and stumble, so can you. But we need people to remind ourselves. I think about my parents. I boast about them a bunch because they deserve it. But my mom and dad are examples to me of, of how to live out your faith in Jesus in the real world. And they're totally not perfect. I can go on for days about flaws. I inherited a lot of their flaws, right? And, and so they're not perfect people, but even they were just here on the way to, to preaching up in, in Washington State. And they're just talking about how they're, they're living in a new community and how they're praying every day about God to give them open doors. And my mom's going to a little doctor appointment for a follow-up visit. She's praying beforehand, Lord, open up the door. And God gives her an open door with the nurse. And, but then she realizes she has to go on to her other task. She's like, God, what do I do here? I got this other task. But, and this lady's saying like, oh, you're a godsend. Can you stay longer? Like, okay. And they're, they're like 68 and 70 living by faith. Still asking God for open doors, still looking to be useful. And so, so long-term following Jesus is inspiring, right? So I've got Abel and I've got others in Hebrews 11, but I also have people. Let me ask you, who, who has God put in your life to stir you to live like Jesus? Let's thank God for them too. And let's let their faith in Him stir us to live out the same Friend, you can please God with your life. God's prepared you for that. He set you up for it. And He wants to use you big time. So today, if there's even a hint of an attitude adjustment that needs to happen, as we respond and worship, let's pray to God that He'll clear the deck, that He'll wipe away all the stuff going on the inside so that I can live like Abel and avoid the sin of Cain. Amen? Why don't you stand on your feet? And we want to invite the Lord Jesus now to use this response time as an opportunity for us to connect with God in real ways. Friend, the way we pattern the gathering is to take us from truth to truth. So now we've heard about presenting worship to God in a way that pleases Him. Let's do this. Let's live out what we just heard. And whatever's going on, if you feel like, you know, the enemy has been coming with lies about you, you'll never you can't. This isn't for you. Let's present those back to the Lord Jesus and, and, and come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm yours. I, I, I know that I'm a child of God. I know that I've been sanctified. I know that I've been made holy. But now, God, do something in me to release me from these lies. Whatever it is that you're going through, this is our next 10, 15 minutes to respond in faith to the Lord Jesus. So let's do that. Lord, we thank you that you've given us not just scripture, but people to model out life in you. And so God, now we lift our voices, we lift our hands, we lift our hearts, we lift, lift all that we are to worship you, Lord Jesus. And we pray that will be said of us, just like Abel, well done, 
you're righteous. We love you, Lord. So we sing to you.